Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions and get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Fashion update, espadrilles definitely in this year. Ooh, good Sweet. news. I can bust my espadrilles out again. That is good news. Yep. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Love the espadrilles. Joining us all the way from Richard, Tennessee, a man whose position on espadrilles is as to this moment unknown, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I purchased espadrilles for my daughters in Madrid, where they were created. Whoa. I think Lee just won espadrilles. You did. You crushed it. That's yeah. Madrid in Spain, folks. Not yeah. Madrid, Georgia. Oh, there is one. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Probably. Is there? there's, a, there's a Rome and a Paris and a Lisbon Athens. and there's everything else. Yeah. Oh, come on, man. We're not the most creative naming group, but one of the places Americans are quite creative is in our event television. Mm. Oh. Wow. Now we this is this is one of the issues where uh, a time shifted medium as podcasting is, or as Glenn insists on saying it, it's beamed into the future. Right. Uh, the technical term be a time shifted medium. Sometimes you set Glenn up for his own catchphrase and he just stares at you blankly. So you try to play it off as a dramatic. Here, here's the thing: pause. is that Matt hates me talking about how this podcast is beamed into the future. So the one time that's he, legitimate. That's not a bit at all. I'm seethed with rage. The 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 one time he accuses me up to actually say it, then I don't. Say <laughs> Wait, it. Yeah. you got to keep him guessing. Is it anything you're going to say? You got to say. That's exactly right. But so we record this on the night of Sunday, March the twentieth. Palm. Is, now they're Sunday. not they're not listening to it on Palm. They Sunday. can't be. Right. It, it won't even be edited or uploaded yet. But they're listening it to it probably two weeks in the future. Listen to it. Post Easter, sure. if you will, but something happened on Palm Sunday here in these United States of America, which uh, none of us were privy to until I checked Twitter right before our recording here, <laughs> and that is that the Fox Network ran a passion play. Ooh. Oh. Now you may think, well, that's you know there have been a lot of good ones, you know, right. a lot of uh, celebrated composers, Bach, St. Matthew's Passion, right, right. What's our man with the uh, the very problematic German ones? Wagner. Sure. A lot of, he did a lot of passion work. Right. Sure. A varying... May have been other motivations in there. A varying severity? Yeah, that's a good word. Might be the word. It's a good word. But it's, it's a time-honored tradition in the, in the right. Christian ethos. So did they just, you know, kind of play one of those? You know, you get the, the chamber choir and, oh, no. Oh, no. This is... We got something else. The Fox Television Network. Okay. Right. They brought us... Tyler Perry presents The Passion Live. Whoa. Okay. Is it a Tyler Perry joint? I have to assume. Okay. (laughs) But Tyler Perry apparently narrated it. So again, I'm I'm actually reading pretty much real live tweeting updates (laughs) as we... But it's basically just finished as we record this. So uh, an insider source... UsMagazine.com has compiled kind of the highlights here. And I'm Lay it on us. Marina out and we'll get some reactions in real time. We'll okay. Let's do some analysis. Okay. So the, I'm uh, ready. I'm prepared to instantly judge this. Okay. Yeah. Good. To say something, <laughs> okay. something really catty because that's what they do on these award shows. They got like the red carpet, and then someone's like wearing a gown. That's right. Some, Who are you the, wearing? Yeah, you know, like a designer, yeah. and then somebody yeah. says something really catty about yeah. it. You know, totally. That's, I'm ready to be that person. It's good. You're, you're our Joan Rivers. Yeah. So, wow. spe- well, speaking of uh, designers, we apparently after Tyler Perry um, opened with a Dateline 8:11 p.m. Eastern Time. Trisha Yearwood, who plays Mary, Jesus's mother, nope. dressed in a gorgeous blue gown, <laughs> saying, "Whitney Houston's My Love Is Your Love." No, nope. yeah, that's the good. There's stuff. There's a lot there. going on right there, folks. Well, it's got to be a blue dress. That's how you know it's Mary. Exactly that's right. A full-on strikeout on uh, pretty much every front. You know, Go you, on. You need a Whitney Houston song, and look. I'm from the state of Tennessee. I'm contractually obligated to like Trisha Yearwood just fine because I don't want Garth Brooks coming after me, y'all. Sure, right, absolutely. Trying that. to stay on that dude's good side. Sure, I understand. But that. interesting choices. Well, uh, I and personally, I 
and this is a true fact, I love everything that Tyler Perry does, but this sounds like a bit of a different kind of project. Well, that, that's the other thing here. Maybe it's good. We don't know. We haven't seen right. the finished product. All we have are the details. Sure. We, but we like judging things we don't know anything about. That's it's really our one gift. <laughs> yeah. As we pointed out, we are white men on the internet. Yes. Right. Um, let's see. Eight, eight Dateline, 826 p.m. Eastern Time. It was strange. It was a strange sight to see Jesus ordering from a food truck. <laughs> but that's what happened next because this whole musical was set in the present day. The uh, Last okay. Supper was a New Orleans food truck. Yeah. Well, you know, if you got to choose a last meal, that's actually not a bad way to go. Well, no, if you got to choose a city to have a last meal in, New Orleans is strong. Well, can you can you get beignets in the Last Supper if you're in New Orleans? From, from a food, food truck? truck? Definitely. Yeah, I think basically if you're talking about Captain Ron's shrimp po' boys, then, yeah. you know, that's a pretty strong choice. You know, yeah. if you're in New Orleans. Okay. So we're at the food truck. Yeah. After taking his after taking his bread from the truck, Jesus passed it out to his friends in the famous Last Supper, telling them to eat it as his flesh and drink their wine as his blood. There's a second that I thought, well, that's inaccurate. You can't get wine from a food truck. Then I remember yeah, you can. New Orleans. Yeah. And remember them whenever they did so in the future. Then he went into a moving rendition of Creeds with arms wide open. Oh, for the win. That's amazing. Wow. Jesus, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, and this version passes out bread and wine from a food truck and then sings a Creed song. That's incredible. <laughs> who, who is this? targeted at is what I, I have no know. idea but I have that song in my head something fierce now all of us oh my okay Judas Chris Daughtry sang the song that defined your middle school years Evanescence's Bring Me to Life oh. after betraying Jesus okay the meal what happened after the last supper is we were trying to through it and then once again Mary sang to the crowd gathered in the park the song this time was I Won't Give Up by Jason Mraz. <laughs> wow. May, marking, I have to imagine, the only time the same character has sung a Whitney Houston and Jason Mraz song. That's impressive. That's <laughs> the impressive. Same moment. I need this to stop. Yeah. This is pretty bad. Well, we're, we're pulling it, right in. <laughs> lay it on us. Anybody want to take a guess on who played Pontius Pilate? Roman governor. There's a lot of good options. Uh, maybe I mean, a British uh, the, uh, theatrical actor, that often happens. Or, sure. uh, here's a strange choice, someone Italian. Sure, yeah, sure, you could, you could go with me. that. You know, uh, someone who's fluent in Latin. Right, right. But I'm guessing it's none of those things based on the smirk I see across the table. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Dressed in an orange prison jumpsuit, Jesus answered, the, the answered, are you king of kings? Asked by Pontius Pilate, played by Seal. Oh yeah, Seal. yeah. Seal. Did no. he get to sing uh, "Kiss from a Rose"? Nope. He <laughs> Pilate, played by Seal, and Jesus. After he, after Pilate washes his hands, this blood is on you and your children, not on me. Right. He and Jesus. Sing, sang a duet of Tina Turner's We Don't Need Another Hero from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Wow. That's, these are some uh, deep cuts, man. These, these is, are some deep cuts. I, I don't know who exactly put all this together. Right. But I'd like to just share one thought. Please do. Um, a smoking too much pot is definitely bad for you. <laughs> Okay, it's just bad. I well, think we're somebody was on something way strange. That, oh, at uh, nine forty three, after <laughs> we have our first appearance of, well, I guess Evanescence would technically be a Christian band. But we have another one. Um, after a shocking and graphic explanation of crucifixion, courtesy of Tyler Perry. Okay, Mary sang Lifehouse's "Broken" as okay. she stood next to a gigantic lighted cross. Okay. Yeah. So this started off like huge, and then this just became like every uh, youth youth revival thing on the night. Somebody right. gives a yeah. like creepily like I've spent a lot of time thinking about the description of nails and ligaments. Like, yeah, 
way, way, way too into it. Description of crucifixion. Yeah. Right, right. And then a Lifehouse song. Okay. Yeah. Um, here's the, another possibility. Yes. Have you checked this building for a gas leak? <laughs> a Superdome? You're, you're, I guarantee you there is one. You're putting this production together and you think uh, this is the, you know, giant light up cross is the way, you know, yeah, these kind yeah, of things. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe there's just a gas leak in the building and, you know, mess with your thinking. Sure. Because here's what I'm saying. Tell me. Uh, This is, this does not sound, you know, like what you would want. Sure. Okay. But I went and saw this movie, uh, The Young Messiah. Yeah. Okay. And that actually turned out to be a decent movie. Like, no joking. That was actually a decent little movie. Um that, and I didn't notice till the end that was Anne Rice's uh, 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 thing, or based on that. Sure, sure. Um, Is it a prequel or a sequel to the Tom Cruise vampire movie? It, <laughs> it's a prequel. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, I guess, I guess chronologically that is true. I, I, I yeah, I have a lot of you know uh, Easter related humor on that. I'm going to pass yeah, up. But here's here's the thing: is during the uh, we're we're going to see that. Then they show in the you know you do the previews yeah, before yeah. the movie starts was a preview for God's Not Deader. Okay, sure. the God's Not Dead number two. Right, sequel. the ACL you tried to kill God. And okay, look, we saw part of the first one. Right. In order to mock it, right. I mean yeah. on purpose, put it on. Yeah. This is going to be our party. We're yeah, going to put gonna this make fun on. Of this and it got so unbelievably. Sad and bizarrely detached from reality. We just had to stop. We just had to stop. Okay. I saw this trailer. The trailer couldn't have lasted more than two minutes. It was psychedelically worse <laughs> in sure. two minutes. I mean, they went to a whole nother level sure. of just weird. crazy, weird, like. You know this is not the world that we're living in, right? Don't you? Glenn, the ACLU is trying to outlaw Christianity. Yeah, that's it, on that level via Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Exactly yes. right. I had to literally walk out of, of the, the preview of the preview because it was enraging. <laughs> Did me Jane have bad. to text you when that one was over? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was just like what on earth? I mean, wow. just. Also, the other movie wasn't bad either. The the uh, Risen. Risen Risen not bad, not yeah. bad. I think we said that already though on the show. No, I think you mentioned it private, but see, it's got one of them fines in it. So how can't, bad can it be? Well, here's the thing. Can we be honest for a second? Sure. Right. I, I got I got buddies that I love that work for mega churches. Right. I, you know, I got no I got no beef. Yeah, we, we I do too. Yeah. I'm just saying everything you've just described. This is the dream production of yes. every mega church in America. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. to put exactly that more live on. animals, but yeah, yes, <laughs> more live animals. I wish that was a joke. No, it is not. That's the truth. Live dude. camels. That's how you know the nativity plays good, right? Well, um, we never declared an emergency, but we didn't uh, have time. There was I feel so like, much going on. I feel like we need to declare insanity off and just right. kind of declare it. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> Well, to cleanse the palate of that, and speaking of such things, I think I have an Easter production story you're all going to like. Tell me. So there's, a, I think this was a Knoxville area megachurch uh, back when I lived in Tennessee. So they, they're doing the passion, big thing, live animals and the camels and the whole deal. But they're doing, like, they got it rigged up so they, you know, they do the crucifixion and with the, you know, the, uh, the big dramatic moment with the spear. So you get a trick spear, right. you know, which retracts. Yeah. But... That looks a little fakey. Right. So the rest of the time, that guy has a non-fakey spear. Oh, Lord. Right. This is not going to end well. We miss, we miss the, uh, the switchover the moments. The yeah. So Ouch. imagine being a dude playing Jesus in front of this. <laughs> I'm talking thousands of people. And getting legitimately, <laughs> I mean, it's not like it was sharp, but you know, right. poked. A hard with, poke. Yeah, jammed, and trying not to scream expletives at the top of your lungs, <laughs> which I don't think this guy succeeded at. No, let, me wow. just, let me just say this. If he actually cussed after getting poked with a real spear, <laughs> that would be my favorite Easter memory of all time. Isn't that okay. great? That oh, fantastic. man. So, you know, keep it simple, and magic can happen. Yeah. That's right. 
Well, we don't have the money around here to do a giant stadium Tyler Perry produced uh you know well we don't there are a lot of reasons we can't do a uh, giant parade through the streets of Chicago like you could in New Orleans. <laughs> right. But uh one one day one day we can have Uncle Glenn presents The Passion Live the musical. An Uncle Glenn joint. An Uncle Glenn yeah. joint, but only through the magic of Bridgebox. Yeah. Now there's gonna be a lot of very intricate instrumental guitar playing. Yeah. And the Uncle Glenn presents the musical. And uh, you're gonna dig it. A lot of lot of CGI. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know. A lot of explosions. Uh-huh. Yeah. A lot of explosions. Well, yeah. We don't know there weren't explosions. Spaceships. That's right. Sure. We don't have. You know, the text is bare. Absolutely. Ninjas, pirates. Yep. You, you know, got you got to fill in the gaps. Yeah. But obviously, the way we're gonna have to fund that in the long run is through Bridgebox. Yeah. More people sign up for that. The quicker we get. To Ninja Pirate Alien Passion, an Uncle Glenn joint. <laughs> don't, isn't that what we all want? I think so. But in the meantime, we're going to use that money to hire part-time employees to do ministry in the streets, behind bars, and we're going to keep giving you really cool music, sermons, Bible studies, and whatnot. Head on over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Not only can you sign up there, it's only $8 a month, but if you're not sure yet, you can get some goodies for yourself that are yours to keep, whether you sign up or not. All right, we're going to move on to our first question here. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end, and I'll give you an email address and a website address so you can touch this. This comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, How should we as women deal with seemingly, quote, Christian, unquote, guys who just like the chase? I'm single and in my 20s. I've tried asking a guy out. Sadly, he wasn't interested, so I was sad for some time, then moved on. I've dated a guy who was good at acting Christian while at church, but they lived very differently once I got to know him, But he mm. and he was sleeping with other people. The breakup was very sad and hurtful for everyone, but life went on. How am I supposed to keep going in this insanity? Lee, why don't you start us off? Well, thanks for the question. It's a it's a bum deal for sure. Sorry that you're going through this kind of deal. And I'll tell you, the, the, the thing about um, guys that are caught up in this kind of lifestyle is that it's never going to work for them. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I mean... To be honest, you really you you pity dudes like this, uh, you know, guys that are in ministry and in outreach. We these are the kinds of guys that I want to get to know and reach out to and tell them about the love of Jesus so that they can uh, find a different kind of life. But it, it's never going to work. It's a it's a thing that a lot of people chase, and they you know they they chase it because they they you know people make movies about this, and it's kind of the everybody wants to think this could maybe possibly be awesome if only, but it's terrible. Um, you know, the idea of just chasing one sexual relationship after another and not ever really settling down and being honest with somebody and having a, a relationship that takes work and takes vulnerability and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it, it's a thing that, 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 that guys try it out. They lie to everybody about how awesome it is and everything. And the truth is that it's terribly, terribly unsatisfying. And the, the fact is that what everybody really wants is they really want the... Uh, just the, you know, having that person that completely knows you, that understands you, that has committed their life to you, that that uh, knows all of your faults and sticks around anyway, that person who will love you for your whole life. Now, that takes so much work. Like I said, it takes vulnerability. It takes risk. It takes it takes time. It, it takes all kinds of stuff. And a lot of people are not willing to, to, to put that work in or to give up that other stuff. But the thing is, is that the thing that you want is uh, is something that God wants for you. I mean, don't give up on the thing that you want just because you've run into some dudes that are still playing this game. Um, it's a, Like I said, it's a game that's never going to work, and it's a game that they're just going to keep trying until they want something different. But really, what are you supposed to do about a guy like this? In your position, you just pity him and pray for him and move on, and move on to the, to the, to the next guy, the kind of guy that... That, that God has for you, the, the, God, the kind of guy that's going to respect you, the kind of guy that you can build something with, rather than somebody that's just playing games. Yeah. It's a really good place to start. Let me get you to pick up uh, this question for us here. There's a, I think there's a couple of tendencies here, both of which you actually need to go in the other direction of, but the, the, the temptation way to go, the two things seem related. The, going the opposite almost seems like you're, we're asking you to do two disparate things, but the, the uh, tendency would be to get... Uh, kind of uh, just withdraw more mm-hmm. and then take kind of whatever comes along. Wait for right. the really good one. 
Right. Wait until there's no doubt at all and then jump on that. We kind of want to go in the both directions of that, but that kind of looks like being uh, way more ag- aggressive would be a word for it, but also more selective. That's right. Which almost don't seem like they go together, but if you do it right, they super do. Absolutely right. I think you should be more picky about who, who it is that you, you pick. And that's not um, to be clear. We're not blaming you for the fact that this stuff hasn't worked out. If a guy's deceiving you uh, and acting more Christian than what he really is, that's on him. But uh, w- with that lesson learned, uh, you're absolutely right. You, you look at that and say, I need to be picky. I He was maybe kind of pretty in the face. Maybe I right. suspected he had some tendencies and what have you. And I think we... Uh, you know, can sometimes say, well, I'm not sure exactly how Christian this person needs to be for it to be at a, you know, good enough mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. And I think you figured out that was too low. So you have to be more picky in that sense. But if you're being more picky, then you need to be more assertive. When you mm-hmm. meet that guy who really is up to your standards, that means uh, presenting yourself and saying, you know, hey, let's get a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. I'm not talking about asking him out, asking him out. I'm just saying, let's get a cup of coffee and let's get to know each other, uh, letting him know that you come up on your radar. We're hearing this a a bit more, uh, or I have been lately, uh, of we have people who are raised in sort of this weird Christian thing where they're not, uh, asking anybody out, and they're not dating at all. And then we have some people who are in the church somewhat, but their dating life is essentially secular. Right. But what they have figured out is none of these girls in church are being asked out. Mm-hmm. So they're coming in and dating all these gals because no one else is. So it's sort of like a, what the military would call a target-rich environment. Yep. I'm against that. And uh, me too. Uh, what happens is uh, all of these ladies discover this is a guy who essentially, again, you know, is is not trying to date as a Christian person, isn't much of a Christian in terms of his dating life. So uh, what we have to do is find someone who is serious about the Christian part and spark the dating part mm-hmm. in some sort of way. I oh, yeah, I think another part of these things, which, you know, you're, you, just, you describe two relationships here, which is good, solid, that's Two more than a lot of people your age have you ventured into. That's that's positive. But two data points in something as complicated as human relationships does not make a pattern. This yeah. is not right. that's right. That whether that being a pattern about you being bad relationships or Christian guys. So Jet, how do we move forward here? as I think Glenn made a very good point there, acknowledging the lessons we learned, but not letting that kind of build a barrier. It's a great question. We're sorry for the troubles you've been through uh, and the disappointments, and, and we, we hear you and we feel you. Um, Matt said it, I, it's, it bears repeating, in this context, two people does not constitute a pattern. Um, you know, you, you started your question uh, kind of asking, you know, basically it seems like we should kind of write off a lot of Christian guys, but uh, I, I don't think we have the data to actually support that yet. Right. Um, you, you had one guy that... Um, uh, uh, appears to not to uh, know his butt from a hole in the ground where you say, Hey, I'd like to go hang out. He says, yeah, I'm not feeling that. And, right. um, that, that's a dude who just doesn't know what's up. And I'm, right. I'm sorry for that. And then he got a, a dude who, uh, is a liar. I mean, he claimed to be one thing and then he was doing something else. And, and I'm sorry for that. But that is, that doesn't actually really tell you anything about Christian guys in general or right. about you with Christian that's guys. Right. It, it's, it's really crappy. You had two bum experiences in a row and we're mm. really sorry for mm. that. But, the thing we'd encourage you to do is to get dug in and double down. Right, you know, that's right. uh, you know, if 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 the world, if the enemy is trying to, to scare you off from something, then hit it twice as hard. That's right. um, yeah. One of the things, though, um, to support what all these guys are saying is, I'd encourage you to find guys that live out their faith by serving the least of these. Mm-hmm. If you want to find a quality Christian man, find somebody that volunteers at the jailhouse. Find somebody who volunteers at the homeless shelter. Find somebody who volunteers, you know, uh, teaching underprivileged kids. It's not that those people are less sinful. They're as sinful as anybody else. But it's more likely that their faith is in an authentic part of their lives mm-hmm. because they're, they're choosing to spend their time and their money living it out. And plus, it'd be really good for your walk to get involved with that work anyway. Right, uh, so right. you kind of uh, kill two birds of one stone so don't give up find a new dude that you are interested in and go ask him to join you for coffee um you've you've got what it takes Uh, there's you're there's nothing cursed or bad or weird or broken about you keep going you you will find a good dude who knows that you're a good gal that's right that's absolutely right there is a temptation there as jed's saying to write off kind of all 
people of gender or all Christian dudes or whatever. But then you have to balance that out with what Glenn's talking about here is being picky. Being picky is not writing people off. Being That's picky right. is giving people the opportunity to prove it. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that is a positive thing, but mm-hmm. also kind of takes all the way back to where Glenn started. If you're going to be picky, you have to do some picking. Yeah, that's right. There's that's an right. old phrase about beggars and choosers that's kind of an old phrase for a reason. Yeah. But if you're the one being proactive, you can do a little more of that. And um, we can't stress this enough. Um, two bad dating experiences, while it totally sucks, we're sorry those happened to you. We know that's hurt. Um, in the in the main, um, most people don't get to marriage without way more than two bad yeah. dating experiences. Yep. So, again, we uh, we talked about it a little bit in the last episode. If you If you – Feel like your dating experience has is not what it should be because it has had uh, bumps in the road. That's actually exactly what dating is. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're bad at it. Doesn't mean it's bad. But we're that's kind of the that's part of the whole deal. You're gonna take some lumps on that. That's okay because what you get through the other side is worth it. All right, we move on to our next question here. It came in to our email address and it says. I recently started working with a mentor regularly, my pastor, as part of a volunteer position at my church. You guys always talk about how valuable a mentor can be, so my question is, what are the things I should be looking for or asking? And Glenn, why don't you start us off on this one? Absolutely. I think here's the thing. Uh, uh, the key is to recognize, in the main, you know what it is that you need to do. Uh, if it if you're angry about something, you need to be forgiving. If you're frustrated with something, you know that you need to get to a place of peace and so on and so forth. Uh, you don't need a pastor to tell you that, and you don't need him to quote you Bible verses on that. You can Google that stuff literally, and it will come up. What you are looking for a, a, a mentor or pastor to do for you is to help you figure out how to do that thing that you yeah. need to do. What does that actually look like in a practical way? And that's the kind of thing that you can't really do from the pulpit. That has to be sort of a one-on-one kind of conversation. You want to look at, uh, have the kind of relationship where you're peeling away layers, where you're looking at, um, you know, I want to do this thing, but, uh, you know, this is the thing preventing me from doing it. And that's really being driven by another thing underneath it and, and another thing underneath that. So that gets you into a, a, a world here where you're doing a lot of vulnerability. You're doing a lot of honesty, raw honesty. You are not there to impress your mentor or your pastor with how good you're doing. Uh, the difference for us in the kind of work that we do and uh, the kind of work that uh, a lot of other uh, ministry professionals do is when I sit down with the men and women that I work with the first time and we say, let's get a hamburger and talk about life. I say, okay, tell me your, your story. Tell me what's going on with you. They will give me a fairly complete catalog of everything they've ever done wrong in, in life. <laughs> in fact, I, I, recently, I, I, uh, I say recently, it was maybe a year ago, I was doing that. We were at a Chinese buffet, and you know how you do at a buffet? You do like a plate, and yeah. then you talk while you're eating the plate, but then you have to like have a pause in the conversation. We because you got another plate. You got to go around two on the uh, hit the buffet again. You can't hit the spread just once and quit it. That's not what a buffet <laughs> is. So we're uh, we're talking and we, we in and we and he's giving me this long catalog of all the stuff that he did wrong, and um, we went to so okay, so that's we've got it all, and then we're gonna go to the buffet, and then I'll tell him what I think about all that. And we went to the buffet for round two, and he came back and sat down. He says, wait, I got more stuff. You know, he, did, he, he didn't want us to move forward until we, you know, <laughs> you know everything that's the, the deal. Um, uh, and what that does is it allows me to have a, a full sense of the landscape of what he's dealing with. I can't address it all and deal with it all, all at once, obviously. Uh, but it gives me a sense of, of, the, of the roadmap of where all the problems are, you know, the, the, the things we need to try and solve as we move forward and so forth. Uh, but if you are trying to impress me and tell me yeah. things and sound holy and whatever, uh, frankly, if it's me, uh, we're not. I'm not even going to let you hit the second spread. I got to go find somebody else that's that's ready. Uh, I, so I think that's part of it is is being willing to be vulnerable in that way so that we can peel those layers mm-hmm. down. That's absolutely a really positive way to start. And part of that, I think, what Glenn's point to there that trying to craft this image of here's what it is and here's I know what I'm doing. That's counterproductive. And really any, I think, and Jed maybe gets you to speak to this, 
any agenda on your end when you're meeting with a mentor is going to create more problems than it uh, it helps. And I'll tell you what I mean by that before I throw it to you. That kind of idea of – you've talked about in prayer a lot – Get it all out there. Yeah. Don't don't do the filter part. I mean, obviously, you know, we can't have a four hour lunch every day, but if it's you know, we're talking about this thing today, don't don't really try to make it sound like it's not that bad, you know. Get it all out there and let the yeah. mentor come back to you. And what kind of tr- what kind of communication tips along that tip would you give us? Love that, man. Real quick, hey, we're really proud of you for finding a mentor. That's that's, that's really awesome. Cool. That's really good and and uh, great work, man. Um, Matt's absolutely right. Uh, just kind of given the honest, unvarnished, you know, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm dealing with. And so, kind of a few things to to get you talking about that is, you know, uh, where are you stuck in your life? Um, what what are the things that are holding you back from being more honest and vulnerable with God? What are the things that kind of keep you from taking on new adventures, new possibilities? What makes you afraid to just be yourself? Um, you know, what, what makes you feel bad about yourself? What's, what's the stuff that um, you feel like you always screw up or, or you always get wrong? Because part of what a good mentor should be doing is seeing things that you can't see. Yeah, exactly. right. Um, and the more that you give them just an unvarnished view of here's where I'm at and here's what I'm dealing with, the more they're going to be able to see the through line of what's actually messing with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you go to a coach for anything. I mean, you think of a sport where you go to a coach to get better, but it'd be kind of silly to assume you already know basically how to get better. You just, you <laughs> right. know, they're going to sprinkle some fairy dust on top. Right. You know, right. I, you know, I played drums for a long, long time. I was telling me about this recently. I needed to play music in a different style on it. I went to a guy that knows that style and I said, what do I do? And he said, well, just play for me for a minute. It doesn't need to be pretty. Just play for him. So I play for him for 30 seconds. And he tells me something that I would never expect. He says, you're holding your foot completely wrong. That's why you can't do this. You need to do this completely thing. Well, if I had tried to decide in my mind what basically the problem would be beforehand, right. I would never have come up with that. And mm-hmm. so I would just be um, you know, chasing fantasies. But if you go and just say, this is where I'm at. This is what my life is like. This is what this is how I play the drums. Mm-hmm. Then a person who knows more can look at all of that and they can say, okay, I, here's the thing where you're going wrong. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you assume you know where you're going wrong and you try and kind of filter that information for them, yes. that actually makes it much, much harder for them to do their job. Right. So Matt's exactly right. Just give that sense of here's where I'm at. Here's what's wearing mm-hmm. on me. Here's what I'm dealing with. A good mentor, not only do they not have a problem with it, they'll love that and that'll make their job way, way easier. Mm-hmm. That's a really fantastic place to take this. And Lee, maybe if you can um, walk us through, we talked about this, and we actually just talked about this in dating relationships. There's a an idea of what this thing should be like, and I think there is when it, there are far less mentoring relationships in the world than there should be, as we point out here. But it's not a constant stream of life changing um, insights and sitting at someone's feet. What what are some realistic expectations and techniques we can take into be that in what this person talked about, you know, learning to do ministry or just in kind of a life mentoring way. What are some actually realistic ways to look at this going into it? Well, I think one of the things is, and I, I, I love the place that these guys have both taken it and, and, and to, to, to sort of answer your question, but also to kind of extend the conversation that's, that's already going on this deal is, is just for, uh, for you that, this, there's kind of no ceiling on how good this can be if your attitude is an attitude of teachability. Yeah, yeah. So if you know that we've used phrases like uh, you've you've heard phrases like humility so far, and you know uh, Jeb was talking about blind spots, which everybody has blind spots. If you don't think you have any, then you Bless don't need heart. a mentor and just go right on to heaven the way you are without Jesus. But you know, but <laughs> everybody. Everybody has them, um, you know, humility, uh, you know, hoping that somebody can help you with their blind spots, but just being able to have a, an attitude of teachability without defensiveness. If you can go into a, a mentor, uh, you know, mentee relationship, if that word works, with that kind of an attitude, then the expectation that you can have is sometimes we're really going to uncover stuff, like you said, Matt, you know, this kind of managing expectations thing. Sometimes we might uncover the big thing that's always been holding me back that's, you know, this whatever, kind of a a counseling breakthrough. More often than not, what you're going to find is, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be in a situation, you'll have a thing, and they'll say, 
can I can I push back on that a little bit? And and you're gonna feel emotionally something saying, No, yeah. I do not mm-hmm. want anyone to push back on this. And in that moment, it, you know, in the big things and in the little things, and there's gonna be a lot more little things than there are you know, these huge life changing things. It's really a question of can you in that moment decide I'm not gonna be defensive and I'm gonna be teachable? In that moment, mm-hmm. if you can make that decision because that's really it's an emotional decision because it's it's this feeling of uh, of pride will come to your defense and array itself against all the attackers of your pride and really and really just shut down anything that comes against you but if you can shut down that protection yourself and just say I'm not going to be defensive I've already decided to trust this person in other words you don't give everybody in your life the credentials to be able to do that to you but if this is a if this is a you know this mentor relationship you've decided to trust this person then in little things and in big things deciding I'm not going to be defensive I'm going to be teachable and I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt that I'm going to listen to this suggestion then the the clear expectations that you can have from that relationship is that I'm going to make some strides and I'm going to make them quickly the cool thing is when you're with a really when you're with a really good mentor, somebody that really has a spiritual walk like you want to have one day, what they're going to one thing you can expect from them is they're going to show you how to shortcut a lot of the stuff it took them years yep. to learn. Yep, yep. And yep. that's a really really cool thing is that you get to ask certain questions and they and they will they'll tell you, dude, when when I first got married, it took me 7 years to learn that. I'm going to give you the secret today. Mm-hmm. And if you will listen to me, you're going to skip seven years. Do you understand what I'm saying? Seven years. Yeah. So let go, trust me, and you will skip all this time. That's the really cool stuff that you can expect to start to get some of this secret ninjutsu from these kind of from, from these the, these spiritual folks that you've decided to trust, and you can skip a lot of that learning curve and go right to it. But you have to have that that attitude of teachability. That's a lot of really great stuff. And Glenn, if I could bounce back to you for one mm-hmm. quick follow-up on this. Let's take it specifically in the arena of less of this personal kind of uh, mentor and more of the strict kind of master-apprentice. I am meeting with this person regularly about a ministry thing I'm doing. Okay. Let's make, what are some specific things, if, you're, if it's that, if it's less kind of here's my life, here's my struggles, and more, you know, this summer I'm the the intern running VBS and I meet with the pastor. Mm-hmm. He has he has an hour a week where we talk about the VBS and what do I need and what are we doing. Yeah. So on that you've talked about that master apprentice relationship before, mm-hmm. and that's actually a term that obviously in, at least in part comes from the actual like trade union world where there's a right. apprentice plumber who learns from a master. That's right. So in that I'm trying to learn how to do this specific thing. Yeah. Not what does that change, but what are some specifics? We here's what I would ask. Here's what I would look for. Yeah, I think what you what you're looking to do there is last podcast we talked about having goals. If you're if you're doing something, even as a volunteer, same as as if you're a staff person, um, even if you're just uh, witnessing to your friends or whatever, you, you have a goal for that relationship. What you want to achieve spiritually, so. Uh, the the idea is in a master apprentice kind of relationship, uh, you set up that goal with the master. Here's what we would like to accomplish. Whatever this is, what what the goal is, and that you know that that master helps you do that. But then what's happening is uh, we're having problems accomplishing that goal. It, we're doing good in this part, but this part we're not doing good, and we're looking. We're really bringing to that master person. Uh, here's the part that isn't quite working. I'm thinking about you and I. Uh, one of the things with our bridge is we're always making adjustments and we're always mm-hmm. you know doing things differently. And we have uh, a slightly different population now than we had really just a few months ago. We have yep. uh, guys who are a little less churched that are there. And so you and I were having a conversation about having to adjust our preaching so that it's understandable by people mm-hmm. who are at the at the bottom. To give of the, that. the people uh, uh, a snapshot of that here, I said something about, as we all know, the book of Romans was written by Paul and was trying to move on to my next point and had 50 faces staring at me going, I don't know who Paul is. That's right. So that's, yeah. we, had to, we had to get back to the basic basics here. That, that's right. And, and one of the things we talked about with that is a sense of, 
uh, th these points are, uh, uh, th this is what you said to me is, uh, we're used to trying to take simple truths and unpack that and, mm -hmm. and talk about the complicated uh, uh, impact of that. But what we need to be doing is taking the, the full complications of all the spiritual stuff and make that simple to where it's easy to be understood by somebody who's new to the faith. And so, you know, being able to say, here's the struggle, here's where, and, you know, uh, I, I'm having uh, uh, problems explaining things. I'm having, one of the things we talked about with that is we're having problems connecting the points in mm -hmm. our sermons because they're kind of disjointed because we're hopping all over the place in the way that we're explaining things. Uh, what that does is it gives us a, a, a goal of what we want to do and how we want to fix that. It gives us then different things we can talk about trying. Mm -hmm. You can get in there, try those things. We can then reevaluate, see what works, mm -hmm. get back in there. So it's a, it's a constant sort of a winnowing process of finding the perfect strategy to deal with that situation. I answer a really great uh, way to describe that. One other thing I tack on at the end here, before, right before we move on, is one of the unique perspectives you get on this podcast is you're listening to a lot of guys who have had the same mentor kind of for everything over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. That certainly happens. That's probably not the most common way we do that. Yeah. So when you hear us talk about, you know, you got to, you know, and over the years you'll notice, and that's great, that does happen. There's nothing particularly wrong with, you know, I go to this church while mm -hmm. I'm at college and I'm doing mm -hmm. a thing this semester. And you can learn a lot from the pastor at your college church, but then, you know, he gets reassigned or I move. That doesn't negate the stuff. That doesn't make it any less um, important. It's A mentoring relationship is not only useful over a five, ten-year period. Mm -hmm. It's super useful over that period, but... As we talk about with a lot of other kind of, we talked about those churches, talk about those relationships, something that gets you from A to B, but doesn't get you from B to C. There's nothing, it doesn't discredit what it did from Absolutely. A to B. So the, the, if you have this, when you're looking for a mentor, you're looking for a, in a situation to be mentored, you can do that. That can be a short burst thing. That can be a, you know, I volunteer at this thing twice a month and I get, a, I catch a ride home with the guy who runs it and we talk for an hour. That's mentoring. Yeah. That yeah, counts. You can get a lot out of that. So you know, look, we, we want you to have that mentoring relationship, that master apprentice thing, but there's a lot of cool ways to get some mentoring and don't discount those just because they're not mm -hmm. the, uh, the ideal situation. All right, we're going to move on to our next question. Final question here. Came in a non-sleeve door Tumblr inbox and says, how should Christians engage in voting? Mm. Thanks for the softballs, folks. <laughs> I've been standoffish because I can't in good conscience vote for someone who does not reflect English is my first language, reflect biblical principles because I don't want to stand in front of God and give an account of why I gave my stamp of approval on a certain issue. Mm. Others choose to vote for the lesser of two evils, but is that really the right solution? Isn't it better to simply not play the game? As an American, we want to do our civic duty, but as Christians, we have a higher calling, do we not? Jen, why don't you start us off here? All right. Well, I appreciate your question. How should Christians engage in voting? I have no idea. Right. Um, and uh, I think you if should. you have a question for us, say that podcast you want to comment on the Chicago. <laughs> Tumblr. And I, think I, you, I know how they should do it. Do good. Quietly. Do it good. I think you should be deeply suspicious of anyone who tells you they do know exactly how Christians should engage in voting. Right. That's um, right. Jed, uh, do you only use Christian barbers and Christian uh, mechanics? And of course. I only wear Christian shoes. Yes. Okay. You can tell I have crosses on them. Right. They're super Christian. Wow. Oh, is that what we meant by Christian shoes? Because I spent a lot of money on pumps. <laughs> I have a joke that I'm not telling about soul. It's good. Because it's kind of stupid. It's good. That's good. Stupider than my Christian Louboutin joke. <laughs> Dude, I actually applaud that. That's well right. played. Sorry. I know our audience. That's yeah. well played. You got your red souls going. Okay. Uh, but So I have no idea how Christians generally should engage in voting. And again, I would be deeply suspicious of anyone who tells you they know exactly how that should work. Mm. I'll tell you, though, for what it's worth, in case it's useful, here's how I engage in voting. Um, I've worked in inner city ministry for a long time now. I deal with people who are very, very poor. And in fact, uh, I deal with people at the bridge service every week. Uh, I deal with children who are going to go hungry that week. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not that that may happen. It will happen. There, There's not enough food to eat. In fact, um, uh, many of the huge problems in the inner city stem, you wouldn't believe me if I told you, but they stem from kids not having enough food to eat. 
right. then doing things they really should not be doing in order to do to be able to have food. If that sounds to you like an awful thing that in one of the richest nations on earth that would be occurring, you're right. That's correct. So what I do is I look for the candidate who I think is most likely to do something about that kid going hungry, and then I vote for that candidate. Right. Um, I don't know if that's the Christian thing to do. I don't know if it's the best thing to do. That's what I do. Right. Um, I don't know what you should do. I don't know that anybody else knows what you should do either. Right. That's what I do. Uh, if that's helpful to you, great. So let, me, let me follow up with you on that with this, because you said something very interesting there that I think really speaks to the heart of what this person is asking. You, you didn't say that you vote for the, you only vote, for, you wait for a candidate who will solve yep. hunger in the inner city and then vote for them. Yep. You say you said you vote for the candidate who will do the most for the kid who's going hungry. That's a great insight, man. Okay, that's really good. Anybody who tells you they're going to, a candidate tells you, I'm going to solve this problem, whatever it is, I'm going to solve abortion, I'm going to solve war, they're lying to you. They're uh, they're not going to do those things. And the reason they're not going to do those things is that actually can't be done. Yeah, they can. There, There will always be abortions on planet Earth. Right. Always. There will always be war on planet Earth. Mm. Always. There will always be children in America who don't have enough food to eat. Right. That's, that's mm-hmm. always going to be true. The thing is, we can lessen those things. Mm-hmm. We can reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies. We can reduce the amount of armed conflict. We can reduce the amount of children who go to bed hungry at night. That we can do. There are political candidates that want to take steps to reduce bad things and then there are candidates that want to stop problems from ever happening no matter what. One of those is a realistic thing that can actually be done. One of those is somebody who's telling you what they think you want to hear in order to get your vote. Right. right. And, uh, and you, you need to parse clearly between those two things. One, and the funny thing is Christians are actually far more likely to go for the one that promises he's going to end all sinful behavior everywhere rather than the person that has a realistic, actionable plan to reduce human suffering by a measurable degree. Mm-hmm. I think that's an absolutely re- a really, really good place to start this off. Lee, if I could, could go to you on this, this person says an interesting thing here about, you know, and we've heard this about other stuff. This maybe the first time we've particularly heard a question about this in the political arena of, I don't want to have to stand in front of a God and give an account for why I gave my stamp of approval to a certain issue. I understand that level of thinking. I do. It falls apart on a number of levels, one of which is in America, we don't vote on issues. We vote on candidates right. uh, who have a multi-platform thing. The other being biblically, that's not what standing in front of God on the day of judgment means. Right. But there's this idea of the, I, to be above politics, to be beyond politics, to be a, a pure being of light and wisdom, <laughs> and that that's somehow better. And I just... I don't think that's a practical thing. So, Lee, you deal with a lot of kind of kids, high school kids, college kids who are just coming into mm-hmm. the, the the world, particularly developing their own political opinions. So how do we balance this idea of it's never going to be perfect and maybe it's a corrupt system, man, and, you know, you got to <laughs> – but it is the system we have. How do we right. want to engage in that or not? Well, I think one of the important things to that that I try to help – Kids understand, and and uh, and for for a lot of people to understand is exactly what you said that we live in a pluralistic society. So we and in in America we live in a republic. So we we elect people to represent us, and they have to they they have to compromise. They must compromise. This this system, this self governing experiment, only works if people know how to compromise. That's the only way that, that, you know, differing factions can peaceably, you know, make anything work or make anything happen. What that means is that there is no candidate who can perfectly stand for all of the biblical values. You can't do that in a pluralistic society. We're, we're a society filled with folks who have all different kinds of religion. Some have no religion, some all different kinds of, you know, social issues, views, different kinds of stuff. And for us to peaceably live together, there has to be compromise. And so that, you know, whatever politician you vote for is going to be compromised in some way, on some view, yep. and they're not going to see it the way that you see it. Here's an important thing to understand. As Matt said, this is not what standing before God is about. God sees your heart, and that's a very important thing to know. 
that he understands every single motive of your heart. Now, what Jed described as his kind of, you know, his kind of philosophy of casting a ballot, what the Lord sees is that the thing that's important to Jed is starving kids. He sees that in his heart. So Jed casts a ballot for a candidate who wants to do something about that, who says that they want to do something about that. That is, that's the thing that the Lord sees is what was important to you was this issue, this thing. I'm not, you know, he's not going to 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 judge Jed based on every every you know unrighteous thing that that candidate later goes on to do. That would be unbelievably unfair and un- <laughs> unbelievably uncool. That that candidate is a volitional person who has their own life that they're living. Jed is not responsible for the choices that that person does. Now. There have been propaganda machines who make you feel like you're responsible by saying, putting on stickers like, don't blame me, I voted for so-and-so. You know, that's, that's a, that is an emotional, plea, an, an emotional plea to make you feel, you know, afraid or upset or that you're to blame. It's to make you feel guilty for something when something goes wrong. But you're not actually held responsible for this person. If you're voting for a person because there's an issue on your heart and this candidate seems to reflect this issue on your heart or whatever, that the most they most reflect the tone of what you see the heart of Jesus being like in the scriptures, whatever, however you go about making your decision, the Lord sees your heart in that. And also, if you look at the whole field of candidates and feel like, you know, I just don't feel well informed enough to make a decision that that you know satisfies my conscience. The Lord sees that as well, so it, it's good to know that the Lord knows your heart. He has tons mm-hmm. of grace on you as you enter into trying to figure out this process. Yeah, that's a really, really excellent point on that. And Glenn, if I could throw to you here, we we have uh, there's a couple of the couple things going on here that I think are maybe a misconception. One of which, both Jed and Lee have pointed to which is the idea of I want a candidate who someone who does not, I can't don't feel like I can vote for someone who does not reflect biblical principles. Mm-hmm. There's a problem there. Yeah. And that particularly in the way politicians in this country talk about it, biblical principles, if I may make air quotes with my voice there, um, is a lot <laughs> about who's naughty and why we should punish them. Yeah. Right. But as they both point, as both uh, Jen Lee pointed to governing is about like fixing stuff. Right. There's actually not a blue ton of biblical principles of how to fix systemic issues. Right. So when people say biblical principles, they're often talking about kind of thoughts and feelings more than actions. That's right. Which is a big problem and may speak to something deeper going on here. Absolutely right. I think part of what you're looking at is a is a very uh, uh, shallow understanding that we can sometimes have about Christianity and that's the difference between what we call orthodoxy and orthopraxis. Orthodoxy, you've heard before, that's right beliefs. And orthopraxis is when you get surgery on your shoulder to fix it. That's yeah. right. That's right. And you clear out the cartilage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Now, <laughs> orthopraxis is right actions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that all seminary trained people are taught is if you have orthodoxy, that leads to orthopraxis. It totally you, works that way. If, if you have all the right beliefs, that leads to all the right actions. I'd love to live in that world. That's amazing. <laughs> believe me, I when it comes, I know all the right stuff I'm supposed to do, and I believe it all. Genesis sure, to maps, sure. you, you wouldn't believe. But If only there were some entire chapter in the Bible about some dude who like knew the thing he wanted to do, but the right. stuff he did was super not that. Yeah, that would be That would be cool if we had a, a person like that who wrote most of the New Testament. But the, yeah, that's the thing is, um, uh, so what we want to do is have like a checklist of belief points or something where we say, okay, this person has a lot in common with me. Uh, but what you may find is the way that that person goes about their political life would be very different, so it becomes very difficult to parse. But let, let me maybe give you, let me tell you two super, super quick stories that illustrate both sides of this issue. Uh, there was a guy, and these, and these two stories I'm going to tell you are about two different political parties. I won't mention which one, but, you know, just to lay it out. Is one uh, of them the Whigs? <laughs> no, oh. no. Or no Tories or, or, or uh, you know. Anyway, so we got 
uh, guy number one is running uh, for office uh, here in the, let's say, the Chicago area. And this guy is, it's not just that he's evil. It's that he's evil in a way that's rabid and crazy. Like, you're not sure this guy's okay. And this is a guy that I have had personal conversations with. I'm telling you, not well in his head. I mean, just creeping, crawling evil. Well, he's running, and he's trying to show how super, super Christian he is, bless him, by showing up to Mass on Sunday. Well, he's got another gig that he's got to go to because he's busy being famous and running for things. It's a lot of work. And literally, they, you know, you get in line for communion, literally cuts in front of an old lady to take communion. Turn this along, Padre. Yeah, exactly. To show how Christian he is, you follow me. You know, you know, hip checks this old lady out of the way to, to get, get the, the bread and the wine and give everybody a jaunty salute and leave the place. If that's fooling you, bless your heart, I don't know if I have a, a solution for what's going on. Now, contrast that with another buddy of ours, another guy that we know personally. He's a member of a political party. We shall not mention what it is. He begins a process. Uh, uh, he, he belongs to a church. He's, he would also identify as Christian. He starts going in with this church group that he uh, 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 you know belongs to into uh, do volunteer prison ministry like what we do on a professional basis. And he goes in and meets these people that he's been giving speeches about and talking about, and with these tough on crime. You know, yeah, it's 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 no longer those people. It's yeah. people that he knows suddenly. Yeah. Immediately, he reaches a complete crisis of conscience, mm. and within a matter of a very very short time frame, flips to an entirely different political party because he cannot support. Because you weren't allowed to be in that first political party and believe that criminals are people. That's yep. that's the thing. So and and uh, frankly, both both political parties can be r- kind of crazy when it comes to crime stuff here, particularly in here in America. In the last about f- uh, fifteen years, exactly it's been, right. It's been a thing. And, and so the in in that case, his Christian convictions, one might say, changed where he was at, as opposed to uh, trying to. Uh, uh, impress us with how Christian he can, yeah. uh, 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 you know, quote Bible verses and those kinds of things. This is a situation where he's really let his his faith and his experience of being out in the world shape his politics and transform it. Which mm-hmm. I that, that's that's something that's different and it's unique and what have you. So we can't just go by whoever quotes a verse or shows up in church on Sunday or whatever. Uh, and I think that's where we can sometimes get thrown off of all these people kind of act Christian, but some of them say and do stuff politically that doesn't seem very Christian. Yep. One thing we've talked about this before, and I love what Glenn is saying, and just to dovetail on that, one thing we do want to look at is is for you to ask as a gut check: Are your politics your religion? Right. Are mm-hmm. these the things you hold to be inviolable? Because if that's the case, then we need to rethink everything. We mm-hmm. we need. To, in other words, Jesus said, uh, "Turn the other cheek." Right. Um, Jesus said, "Pray for the ones who who persecute you." Yeah. You can you can believe in Jesus and also vote for a candidate that favors military interventionism. Right. There, there's no reason you can't do that. That's allowed. That's that's fine. I know plenty of people who do that. What you can't do is pretend Jesus didn't say those things. And that's where we get into deep, dark problems. You Mm -hmm. you can believe, I would strongly disagree with you, but you can believe that tough on crime is the right solution for the country Mm -hmm. that you live in and be a Christian. You you can do both of those things. What you can't do is decide Jesus doesn't actually believe in mercy. Right, because right, he right, super right. super does the thing that I I challenge you to to look is when you have to choose between your politics and your faith, which one wins? Right, that that's, right. that's the thing that, that and really, all really too matters. often, especially these days, we're seeing more and more people get wound up into their politics, where that has become a religion to them. Absolutely, and right. when, when when they're forced to choose, they choose the politics. Absolutely really. right. Well, and that's absolutely right. I think it actually speaks to kind of uh, a. Different side of the same coin as our question asker has here. Um, there are some people who there are people who are s- totally uncomfortable with the idea 
of their politics and religion conflicting at any point. So one way to deal with that is to try to live an apolitical life, to kind of do an ascetic monastic thing, which our friend here seems to be kind of pushed towards. towards. I don't want to – there's a very famous quote by a guy named Tony Campolo, which says, mixing politics and religion is like mixing ice cream and uh, dog feces. Uh You're not going to improve the one. You're just going to ruin the other. Uh Uh-huh. And that that's a guy who learned the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. But so there and that's I don't that's a fine goal. I'm not sure that's functional because we live in a political world. If you have mm-hmm. children who go to a school that is political. There yep. there's a you, the the mayor and the school board and the governor with the budget and the president appoints secretary of education and runs all the way up. There's there's an old uh saying that all politics are local politics. Mm-hmm. Kind of it all but so the other side of that is I will just go out of my way to decide that if I am a Christian person who may be white and male and like a candidate and connect to their thing, then that must be Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise I would be like some weird kind of compromised, amoral, hypocritical person. Mm-hmm. Really what we're talking about here, whether whatever side you come to that, and this is an ongoing thing and all of us in this podcast do it, I know I do. Um, you have to get comfortable with the realities of a, a political or a business or whatever reality not jiving entirely with the way you would like things to work from a purely Christian mm-hmm. level. Part of that is having degrees. One of the things Christian culture is real bad at is having degrees of acceptable versus unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's something you say, well— I don't love that, you know, I support this candidate and they have this one, they have this thing that I really don't think that's super cool. I don't think that's the way Jesus would do that. But on the couple, as Jed's saying, but I have things that are more important to me that they jive with or on most things they're fine. You got to be able to kind of draw those lines because there's, there's not going to be a perfect candidate. Definitely. And back to where Jed started, one of the interesting ways as we track this current election that candidates have tried to get around that idea that there's never going to be you're never going to be able to agree with the roughly 100 million people you need in America to get to vote for you to be elected president you're never going to get to have their perfect policy position on everything that's just mm-hmm. mathematically impossible so one of the ways to get around that is kind of a cult of personality it's not about the policy it's about i am this great leader who will you know take us all forth into this kind of thing that's not really um, sustainable or a good idea at all. But the more comfortable you can get as a person with saying, there's no perfect candidate for me. There's no perfect candidate for Jesus. Right. Take us all the way back to where Jed started. What there are in, because this is an American system, it doesn't apply as much in kind of British style parliamentary systems. But what I have is two choices. Yeah. Essentially you can vote for a third party. God love you. You have two choices. You can sit out. That's cool. But, Especially the way we, the way we, it's, I don't have time to get electoral college people. I know you're dying for me to do an hour and a half podcast <laughs> electoral college. I just don't have time. But really, to stay home is to kind of think one thing's going to happen depending on where you live. But right. you have two choices. You can write down their positions, write down things, say what's important to me. Let Jesus inform what is important to you, and then let that decide where you yes, should be voting. Right. Yes, that's kind of a healthy way to deal with that. It's not going to be perfect. It's not a perfect system, as we've talked about when we talk about politics before. But we hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're going to take out the song this week. This is from our friends, the Yearwoods, down there in Lee's neck yeah. of the woods. This is their version of a great hymn called Praise the Savior, Ye Who Know Him. It's from a recent Bridgebox. You can always sign up for that, missionosa.com slash bridgebox. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. This summer, a tale as old as time. Ninja alien pirate passion, the movie. (laughs) Featuring Kurt Cameron as Pontius Pilate. (laughs) Praise the Savior, ye who know him. Can't tell how much we owe him.